I'm going to begin by reading from Acts chapter 6, where we're up to, uh, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, interesting passage. As I'm in the habit of telling you, I've got five points today. Some people have three-point sermons. I reckon you get ripped off by 40%. Five-point sermons, 40% extra, no extra price. Number one, the primacy of the word. Then we're going to talk about, number two, the care and the fellowship and the unity of the body. Uh, Then we're going to talk about servants for dedicated ministries, number three. Number four, I'm going to love this, the organised church. Who loves talking about that? And five, the spreading of the word, which is really point one back to the start again. Got to understand now, the church has been going for a few months, maybe six months, probably less, and had gone from a group of, I don't know, 12, a few others, to suddenly twenty to 25,000 members. That's what's estimated by this time. Twenty to 25,000 people in the church. Can you... Picture that. Just say the church in God won't grow to 25,000 people in Durham Bandit because it's not possible. But imagine that and then kind of being overseers in that. Your head would be swimming, wouldn't it? We know from their previous stories that the fear of the Lord was very strong amongst the people since Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead for their lying. Uh, we, knew, we know that there was a persecution growing from within the temple against the Christians. We know that the people were sharing their property and their money, uh, that every day they were meeting in the Solomon's Colonnade, up to 5,000 people to be taught by the apostles. Uh, we also know, uh, it becomes obvious, that there's a large group within there of widows and therefore orphans. Uh, widows have orphans as well. We know that there was a group of people, groups of people from all different cultures and different languages. But for now, understand this: the church is Jewish. It's the Jews. It's the Israelites. It's it's not um, it's it's not the other nations. We haven't got there yet till chapter ten of Acts. But this is the first part. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. It's a Jewish church. And the 12 disciples who are leading this organisation, it's not an organisation, but you understand, somehow in their organisation, are not 12 highly skilled leaders. They haven't been reading, you know, John Maxwell's book on leadership. 
They are not organised people. Uh, They are not organised in human resources or any other thing like that. And um, the first thing, the point I want to make is this. The primacy of the word of God. Regardless of this expansion and this organisation and this care and everything else, they say we must give our attention above all else to the ministry of the word of God. That's what they hold as highest. They don't want to be distracted from the regular preaching. It's pretty easy for that to happen. Above all else, there is this need. And they were raising money for the new auditorium they were going to put, pick, put up. That's a joke. Because don't church leaders get distracted by that sort of stuff? Or were they looking to feather their nests? Were they looking to become rich they had the potential for that. 20,000 people given an offering. Mate, they could, they could soar. No, that wasn't where they were going. The proclamation of Jesus Christ was so important to them that they said, these other responsibilities, we think they're important, but we're not doing it. That's important, isn't it? Yeah? I wanted to jump, just because I like this passage, no, because I think it, it to uh, something Paul said, in his last letter, which is to Timothy, um, and towards the end, and he's talking to Timothy, but he's talking about the centrality of preaching the word. In 2 Timothy 4, if you want to find it, verse 1, he says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I, charge, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Big build-up for that, isn't it? Just... In God's presence and with everything that's going on in his sovereignty, I want you to preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season to do what? To preach the word. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction as you preach the word, of course. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure ministry, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all your duties of your ministry. And what's he saying? Preach the word. How do you stop the false teachers? How do you stop people getting sucked into that? Preach the word. Yeah? How do you keep people growing? Preach the word. When? In season and out of season. Whenever. What is the word? Well, it is the Bible, true. The, word, the Bible is the word of God. But specifically, the word there is logos, uh, which is, you know, in the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Who is that? That's Jesus. We, yes, we preach the Bible, but we preach Christ in the Bible. That, that's, it's very important. Lots of people will rise with false doctrines, so rebuke, encourage with great patience and instruction with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. I tell you, without it, the church will tear itself apart. When I say tear itself, everybody will run in different directions on different things without the gospel which which holds people together. Because it is the gospel which not only saves people... The same gospel sanctifies the body, washes the body, 
cleanses the church and the same gospel holds the church together in love. If the church has no love in this age, and by the way, we're talking about on the way down, or I was and everybody else was listening, we live in an age where the, the love of most has grown cold. That's, that's Australia. Very cold people, full of division and hatred and anger about every single thing they can think of. Don't get sucked in to that division and that anger. Our love remains strong. And how do you, how do you remain strong in love? It's not by teaching love. It's by teaching Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us unto death. So the gospel actually holds everybody together and keeps us growing together and keeps us from being fragmented and being torn off by uh, false teaching and the like. And the gospel is, it is God's plan for all of humanity, for all of time, for everything. The apostles saw this and they, faced with other important issues, said, yes, that's important, but we will preach the gospel. Again, the church can easily get caught up, and we've seen some of these, and some of this is just rabbiting on about stuff we always say, but the church can get caught up in social ministries, care for others, come, to the expense of preaching the gospel. Yep. The church can get bound up in the seeker-friendly movement. That's been cool and interesting and bringing people in so that they all like us and have a good time together and then hopefully they hear the gospel. Except for the problem with the seeker-friendly movement is often they don't get to that last bit of preaching the gospel. So they just remain cool with the good music. Because the problem with the gospel is it divides and it's offensive. Or the church movement can become the morality group where we show you, we have the... We have the good morals, the good teaching. We have good people. Yep. And if you become part of our church, you'll become good people too. Aside from preaching the gospel where you know one is good but God is alone. But God alone. Or the experiential church movement where you experience the excitement of the spiritual experiences and the signs and the wonders above preaching the gospel or the prosperity gospel where you preach getting rich and having no uh, problems in your life above preaching the gospel or whatever it looks like. Okay? There are many things within the church that can cause it to become distracted. But Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, along with Paul, would agree with this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach Christ Jesus. Preach the gospel. Don't take your eyes off that. That's point one. Point two, the need for fellowship and unity and care within the church. It's clear that there were many widows and orphans and, and, and people in need within the early church. There just is in society generally. But in an age where people and men die younger, it was a greater need. And serving people with food was an important part of that. Giving people their daily bread. The Hellenists were basically Jews born elsewhere. Greek-speaking Jews. They, weren't, they didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke a different language. 
Um, and so they felt that they were missing out, uh, whereas the Hebrew people who at that time were handling the money and stuff were giving to their people for whatever reason and, and, and they felt they were missing out. And this caused tension. Tension often comes to a head through small matters, which are not the matter, but that's another point. But uh, it's, it's still a gospel issue, as the disciples saw, uh, in that they kept preaching Christ at the centre. Now, whether this issue was about fairness or actually about unity in the body, it was important. But you, again, I, we, I keep saying this, if you want to hold unity... Just try and walk 10 miles holding your cupped hand full of water and, and have a drink at the end of it. Yep. Unity is not gained by preaching unity. Yep. It'll all run out. It's gained through hearing of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit holds us together through that. So the, the apostles said, there's this tension. You, they didn't do this themselves, but they, they gave an, a, a direction you, the body, choose seven people. Seven men, actually. And by the way, it's, it, we might not see it, but uh, just pointed out in the commentary, all of these seven they chose have Greek names. So probably most of them were, were, were the Greek Hellenists who were complaining. Possibly all of them. And the last one he mentioned, Luke mentions is a convert to Judaism. He was a Gentile, converted to Judaism, converted to Christianity, and he comes from Antioch. And that's important for Luke because that's where Luke was born. It's a bit like, um, you know, if we're talking to Aaron and he talked about someone within church, they're from Canada. It's like, yeah, they're one of my own. You know, just mention that. Okay, that's important. Okay. But it would be interesting if they handed over the whole ministry to, to seven of the ones from the... Because isn't it really important to main control, maintain control over the, especially the money? You don't want to just give that away to somebody else, do you? Well, they did. They were not micromanagers, the, the disciples. They, were, they didn't have their finger on every part. Hand over, delegate, give it to others. But they did care about the fellowship and the unity of the fellowship. About the community living in love. Because in a world where the love has grown cold... This is where the church should not be the angry, militant church, but it should be the church of love, that people see that love and experience that love. Do you understand what I mean? When we get in arguments about uh, everything the world's arguing about, we should be known for our love, not for our, not for our militancy. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, said Jesus that you love one another. Uh, That's point two. They cared about the fellowship and the unity as well as the people within it, obviously, and they were primacy of the word. Now, they dedicated people to be servants or to serve others. A lot of people see in this the beginning of a ministry called deacon. Okay, I'm going to put it like that, deacon, because the word deacon is the word servant. In Greek, that's what it means, servant. And sometimes, as you read the New Testament, whenever you see the word servant, you're probably seeing the word deacon, but they didn't translate it with that. But in some places, they've translated that as a ministry of deacons, which is a ministry of servants. It's very interchangeable. It's the same word, okay? But what they did do here, for sure, and it's probably the first time outside the apostles you see it, 
is they appointed people to a dedicated ministry of service. This group of people is in charge of this. That's what they were doing. And, and I think that really, this is, maybe this is my view, but I think I can argue it fairly biblically, that the, the deacon ministry in the New Testament is a ministry of dedicated ministries of servants. People serving the church body through a specific given ministry to that person. Okay? We, we might do it in lots of different ways. We might say these people look after the children. And the church says they are those in charge of that. These are, this is the treasurer. This is the whatever. It doesn't matter. Any set ministry are deacons because they're servants. Deacon servants throughout the New Testament. When Timothy and Titus talk about it, if it, it just you have a read of uh, 1 Timothy 3 and it talks about the qualifications and he has two groups of people. First he says the elders or the shepherds or the, uh, the pastors, elders, pastors. And then secondly, the deacons, the servants. And if you go through that and compare those two, what you'll find is they all have a great responsibility in character in who they are and the faith that they have, in this language, they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Okay? They're above reproach, that sort of thing that it says. Both the elders and the servants. But the difference with the elders, if you compare the two, this is simply this. The elders are able to teach. They are the ones who are in control or look oversee the preaching of the gospel and the guarding of the gospel against false teaching. That makes sense? Whereas the deacons slash servants are doing all sorts of ministry. But that's not listed for them. Even though they may well teach. But the importance of elders is, is overseeing the teaching of the gospel and guarding against false teaching. Really, really big important point. Because that means that elders are not necessarily just um, administrators or it means first they must be full of the Holy Spirit and they must know what the truth is. Be conversant with the truth by being conversant with the scripture. Do you get that? So, as for servants or deacons, still any person that is appointed to any ministry by the church must be of reputable character and faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Any person, if they're appointed to a ministry, if they're, if they're not that person, they should not be given any ministry, whatever it looks like. Do you get that? Okay. Might seem like a small point. Gee, the church stuffed that up over the years. Yep. Someone's good with money? Well, they're the treasurer. Are they a Christian? Doesn't matter. They'll be good with the money. Yeah. Yeah. They're good with kids. I'll give them the kids' ministry. Yeah. They're not good at much at all. Give them the youth ministry. Okay. That's, that was a joke. <laughs> That's what we used to do, so it's all right. Um, but everyone in a dedicated role is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Okay. And they are to be servants, which is what the word deacon means. A servant. They know Mark 10.45 off by heart, Right? The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Jesus 
The Son of God came to do what? To serve. So that we could be servants within the church who get glory and kudos for ourselves, right? We surely are to be like Christ. Yeah? So to be any, in any role within the church is to actually be a servant of all. We don't lift ourselves up, we lower ourselves down. That's what servants are. The Son of God, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give up his life as a ransom for many. That means he gave up his life on the cross for us. Take that in. That's what church ministry is about. Okay. And they are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And it also mentions of uh, Philip or Stephen, they're filled with faith. What does it mean, though, to be filled with the Spirit? Is it someone who paces up the front like a peacock, shouting a lot? That's Spirit-filled, right? Huh? Someone with that outgoing personality, that's charisma. Charisma is in gifted. No, 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 that's not, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about here. Are they those who just draw people naturally to themselves? Well, those people can be all sorts of weirdos. Right from the point of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out and what happens, what is the great sign of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? They are alive and on fire for the gospel. That's it. Do you understand? They become bold in the proclamation of the gospel. They become filled with it. That's a sign of the Spirit's power. Well, that's boring, isn't it? What if they're a boring person? Well, they'll be a boring person on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's good. Do you understand? When we look to Christian leadership, that's what we're looking for. People alive in the Word of God. You would hope that when someone is indwelled with the Holy Spirit, right, that they would be wise to bring wise counsel that comes from the Word of God that they know well and they will be able to look at all matters of life through the lens of the Gospel. That's what you'd hope. A sign of spirit-filledness. Also, realise this, they picked people who are filled with the spirit and wisdom, which implies that there were plenty of people in the church that were not. Doesn't mean they don't have the Holy Spirit, but the life of the spirit and the life of wisdom was not flowing out through them and they were not chosen for that task and that was good. There's actually people who are suitable for leadership and there are people who are not. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Okay. So these seven were chosen, not just because they were compassionate and organised and were good at finances. They were full of the gospel. And if actually, the next, the next two chapters of, the, of Acts is kind of a commentary, firstly on Stephen, the first one chosen, and nextly on Philip. You get their ministries, one after the other. Uh, and none of it's to do with giving out food to the Hellenistic Jews, by the way. They're both preaching and evangelising. Because I think that these seven really became leaders in the Christian community. They were more than just in charge of the food. But even to them, the gospel was central. And it says the apostles laid hands on them and prayed for them before the people. And that's a sign in the Bible both of Blessing, you, you pray, that, pray that God will give them what they need to be blessed for the ministry they do. But also, 
the laying on of hands is done as an identification with someone when they lay hands on an animal and, and become one with that animal and that animal gets its throat cut. Basically, there's a, the, the oneness of being identified with them. So there's a unity between the 12 apostles and the seven uh, uh, servants, deacons, however you want to say it. And what you get there is point four. There's an organised church. It's actually organised. Do you notice that? I'm not, I'm not, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about building programs and all that sort of stuff. But under God, there's actually an organisation that happens. Because you see, many people would just, would just leave it to the Holy Spirit. These, people, these widows aren't being cared for, the disciples could get, we just leave it to the Holy Spirit and it'll happen. That's how it works, right? Except for you've got the problem where there's these large group that some of the people don't have the Holy Spirit and they're, so they're a bit selfish still and God's still working on them and sanctifying them. So there's an organisation that comes. We watched the Monty Python skit where King Arthur comes along. Do you know that one? And um, King Arthur comes along and these peasants are there collecting filth or something and uh, they say, I am Arthur, your king. And they say, well, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> yep. And... Uh, we don't, we don't vote for a king. He said, yeah, we're an autonomous collective. Autonomous means you create your own law. We, we, we've all got it amongst ourselves. We don't need anyone to rule over us. That sounds dumb, except for that's how the church often seems to, to think that it can operate. But here there is a leadership. Twelve apostles made a decision for the whole body and said, you are to choose for us seven. And they come back. So they gave them responsibility. They chose seven. They came back and then they appointed them to the job they were given. That's actually organisation, isn't it? Because, you know, it might sound dumb, but if you don't have the organised church, you get the disorganised church. Which doesn't necessarily bear witness to the God who is actually a God of order. It's not saying that some Christians are better than others or anything like that. It's just saying that there are actually roles and responsibilities within the church. That's how it works. There's decisions made by some and there's choosing done by some because there's such a thing as authority. That means if there's authority, there's such a thing as submission to authority. No one wants to say that because ever since the fall, it's been in our DNA to hate authority. We hated God's authority. And ever since that built into us, it's like, you can rule over me providing I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah? I, 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 what, I, I'm, I'm saying this because, you see, there's a great responsibility, as far as the New Testament says, that comes with leading and having authority. Authority is responsibility. I know I said the other week, you know, you become a pastor and the pastors get judged more harshly. It's not you become a pastor to have more glory, which a pastor elder, sorry, become a pastor elder to have more glory. No, there's actually a greater responsibility and a greater judgment. Yay, who wants that? And then come, so I'll read two verses from Hebrews 13, 7 and Hebrews 13, 17. It says, remember your leaders... Who spoke the word of God to you? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So look to the leaders and imitate their faith. And in verse 17 it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you 
as those who must give an account. Now, that's a, that's a double barb, isn't it? They're going to watch over you and then they're going to be held to account for watching over you. Do this, that means submit to their authority, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What I'm saying is this. The church actually has an order and authority. You can't deny that from the way that uh, the New Testament is laid out. Set up, called together leaders to be like this, to have character, and those leaders will make decisions. They will have authority, uh, submit to, to those. If those people don't have the gospel, if they don't have Jesus Christ at the centre, don't submit to them. Okay, what is the result of this organisation, of this people, uh, the primacy of the word, this is point five, there's a primacy of the word, there's a fellowship, a care, a unity, there's dedicated ministries, there's an organised church, what's the result? The gospel spread. Many more were converted. The word of God spread, it says. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Hey, it was already big. It's getting bigger really quickly. And not only that, it says even many of the priests believed. Now, it doesn't say the the high priests, but it does say the priests. You see, the the priestly community uh, was spread throughout. They they weren't all the ones ruling in the temple. Uh, They were sort of a twelfth of the nation. Uh, And they, you know, you, you know, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, he got his one shot at leading. Was that was that once in a lifetime, or? You know, he was called in for that. There were a lot of faithful, humble priests who were out in the community. These people knew the scriptures. And when they heard the word of Jesus Christ, they believed. Isn't that awesome? Yep. And many others as well. They heard about Jesus. They weren't the ones holding on to their own glory and power, those ones in the temple. Again, all of this happened because the word of God was central and when it was preached, it bore fruit. It bore the fruit of new converts. It bore the fruit of a body held in unity. It bore the fruit of a body which reflected the nature of God in love, in authority, in peace and in power. This is the church. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for Jesus, your son, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Thank you that you, in your very nature, serve us. And Father, we want to pray for the church everywhere that you would be raising up People to lead with humility and with the word of your gospel. Raise up people to proclaim Jesus. Father, we pray also for us locally that we, all who are in any position of ministry, would serve with love and grace and most certainly with a bold proclamation of Jesus. 
I pray that you would expose in us our selfishness as we look to our own needs, as we look to our own glory. And Father, I pray that through your church you would bear witness and cause fruit to flow. Men and women coming to faith in you. Unity for all. Love and joy. And Father, I pray that you would so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be a bright light in a world whose love has gone cold. And that people would experience that love and hear of the love of your son, Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name.